Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Word of Fintech podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Today, we have a very interesting guest and an extremely timely episode as we are joined by Gretchen Howard, Chief Operating Officer of Robinhood, one of the most defining fintech companies of 2021, best known for aiming to democratize investing for everyone and popularizing commission-free trades. Founded in 2013 by Vlad Tenev and Baiju Bat, Robinhood has grown to one of the most recognizable household fintech brands over the last few months with over 13 million clients. That being said, the company's journey has not always been easy and without criticism. In this great episode, Gretchen and I explore her career trajectory and what drove her to leave a senior role at Capital G and join Robinhood in 2019, what inspires her about the company and some of their exciting plans for the future, and we also get to hear Gretchen's first-hand account navigating the game stock debacle in late January. More importantly, we talk about some of the lessons learned from this experience and why Gretchen, Vlad, and the Robinhood team are now advocating for real-time trade settlement and how this could help improve the market and avoid similar situations in the future, as well as a number of other interesting topics. I hope you enjoy my fascinating conversation with Gretchen Howard. Well, Gretchen, thank you so much for joining us on the Wharton Fintech Podcast. Welcome. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for inviting me. No, it's our pleasure and happy to say that this is my 100th episode. So it's a very fitting guest that we have for this episode. All right. So, I'm especially honored then. Congratulations <laughs> on your 100th episode. That's a huge milestone. Thank you so much. So maybe we can get started by hearing a little bit about your personal background and the road that took you to your current role at Robinhood. Sure. So I'm Gretchen Howard, uh, currently Chief Operating Officer at Robinhood. And sure, I'll, I'll just start at the beginning, probably. I, right out of college, I was a history major. And uh, the first job I ever had out of college, I took the first job anyone offered to me and ended up being a technical consulting role. And this was in the the mid-90s. And I learned how to program in C, which is a language no one uses anymore. But it was sort of my first introduction into technology. And I just got really excited about the role that technology could play in accelerating businesses of all kind. So that's sort of my stumbled into this, uh, (laughs) no master plan. And I ended up just getting really intrigued about business in general. And I'm a nerd at heart. I love going to school. So I decided to go back to business school and had a great opportunity there. I think really opened up my perspective to think about businesses around the world. And then I ended up going to Fidelity Investments. I did my summer internship there and then returned there after business school. And so it was interesting, the work there. It was an intersection between technology and financial services, which was, we didn't call it fintech back in those days, but we were thinking about how do you build out, I was specifically focused on building on the retail business, but how do you also think about how to interact with customers using technology as well, which back then, again, it was more of a focus on sort of 
physical presence branches and then phone support. And a lot of new technology and ways to interact with customers was just beginning to surface. So did that for a while. And then I had the opportunity to join Google and I joined Google in 2006, which was an amazing opportunity, again, really focusing on customers and how to scale the business. So one thing I've found throughout my career is that I love hyper growth opportunities where really the focus is how do you scale this with really intense velocity, but also maintain a really high quality bar. So I was lucky enough to join in 2006 and really focused on the ads business was just taking off. And so we were opening offices around the world. Really, we knew we had something special and focused on working with product and engineering and operations to just scale that as quickly as possible. Then when that really became a somewhat mature business, I got the opportunity. It was within Google, but it was right around the stage right before they reorganized into Alphabet to help start Google Capital. So that was a late stage investing fund. So again, my career, there's no set path here. It was always shifting on to like, okay, what new opportunity can I jump into where I will learn a lot? But always sort of technology and finance had a had some thread throughout. So joined Google Capital, which we then transitioned to call Capital G, and had the opportunity just to meet amazing, amazing entrepreneurs in across different technology companies. So Everyone from Airbnb to Lyft to CrowdStrike to Stripe just really learned a lot about their business models, how they were scaling. And as a partner in Capital G, just had that was an amazing time to be an investor. I did find that I had the itch to be an operator again. And we actually made an investment in Robinhood. And that's how I got introduced to the company. And So, you know, I was lucky that I got to get to know the founders and some of the folks on the team, specifically the security team, and really found, I just couldn't say no to Robinhood. It was just something that they were, everyone at the company at that time, and it was only a couple hundred people were so smart, but so humble, which is sometimes a rare thing in Silicon Valley. And they were so focused on their mission of providing access of financial services to all, that it was just this insane customer focus. Just It was something that I couldn't step away from. And it, it was just a huge personal draw for me to be a part of that. So I joined in January 1st, 2019, and have been been there ever since. Oh, fantastic. And obviously, Robinhood has been in the news recently for a number of reasons. And we'll get into those questions in a second. But uh, sounds like you were interested, obviously, in the company, the mission, but also the hyper growth that Robinhood was experiencing. Are there any particular milestones that come to mind for you over the last two, three years that you've been part of the company that you're particularly proud of? Yes. So many, so many moments. I think for me to spend when I think about where I want to spend my time and what I want to work on, it has to be meaningful for our customers. And also, I wanted to have a long-lasting impact, right? And so that's why the mission of Robinhood was so important to me. Democratizing finance for all. Some companies have missions that they sort of put on the wall and it doesn't mean anything. It really means something inside Robinhood. And every employee that joins has a personal connection to that mission. So for me personally, I think some of the things I'm really proud of is that 
Robinhood was founded with the belief that the financial system should work for everyone. And that sounds simple, but that hasn't been true in the past. And I think some of the highlights that I've been able to experience is that while Robinhood started, we started with a commission-free model, the industry soon followed suit. And that is a huge accomplishment, right? We were able to set up our business model using new technology so we could operate in a really lean way and pass those savings on to customers. But the fact that we like to say, or I think others have said, it's sort of the Robin Hood effect that other large broker dealers also follow suit and removed that for customers. That's just a great thing for customers overall, right? That's putting money back in the hands of consumers. And, you know, I thought that was going to be the big moment. I actually think that there were some other huge moments that I think Robin Hood continues to impress me how disruptive it can be to the industry. I think we actually really believe that there is an opportunity to remove barriers so people can participate in the stock market, which is the greatest wealth creation of all time. So if you don't have the minimum account fees, you don't have the commissions, what else could we do to really help people start investing? And another thing I'm really proud of is the introductory of fractional shares. So that I think actually could be more transformative than even commission-free trading, right? The idea that you can take $1 to get started and buy a share of a company that you love or you've researched or you know something about, right? If you can say you, you love Apple, you can buy, you may not have hundreds of dollars to buy a whole share, but now you can buy a piece of it. That in my mind is really transformative. And I think we have yet to see the full implications of the possibilities that opens up to people. Absolutely. And so, Gretchen, I'm sure most people listening to this podcast are going to be very curious to hear about January 28th, right? And that is the week of, I guess, the meme stocks. And probably most people following have listened or watched an interview uh, with Vlad, and he's been pretty public. But as the COO, we would love to hear your perspective and your point of view of what happened, right? Uh, Maybe you can take us through the biggest operational challenges of this week and how you navigated this. Yes, happy to. Vlad has done a great job, I think, in the media telling this story. Some of this will probably sound familiar, but I'll give you my take. I think As you mentioned in late January, a lot of brokerage firms saw this massive increase in trading activity in a handful, a small handful of stocks. And the prices were dramatically moving day to day, even really hour to hour, minute to minute. And so for operationally, what that meant was that we were watching the spikes in trading and the volatility. Specifically, I should step back, the way Robinhood is structured is that we have a parent company, which is Robinhood Markets, but then we have an introductory broker-dealer, which is sort of what customers see on the front end. Then we have a clearing business, which is called Robinhood Securities. They handle everything that happens after the trade. And then we have a crypto business and a payments business, which are all separate. So some broker-dealers don't have their own self-clearing abilities, but we do. So most of the events around 128 we're primarily concentrated in the clearing part of our business, which is important to understand. So I think this is sort of the less sexy, but really important piece to understand is that Robinhood Securities, just like other clearing firms, are required to post additional firm capital as collateral 
to support deposit demands. And that's really important because there is an entity called the NSCC and that their role is to ensure the health of the market. And so these are regulatory responsibilities that Robinhood as a whole has to comply to. So there are two things to keep in mind here is one, how do you actually make sure that you're responding to all the regulatory requirements? That's really a (laughs) non-negotiable as a business. These are things you have to do. And at the same time, how do you do everything in your power, and especially me in my role as COO, how do I do everything in my power to ensure our customers are getting a great experience? In this situation, on the 28th, our daily deposit requirement was 10 times more than it was on, for example, January 25th. So it was an unprecedented amount for us that you know we had never seen before. So in order, we had... Robinhood, as well as other firms, I mean, we tend to get a lot of press, which is okay, but it wasn't isolated just to Robinhood. We actually had to impose trading restrictions on certain securities, not all. And this is important to note, like the majority of our customers could still buy and sell all the equities that they wanted to do. So that was important for us to keep the business up and running for the majority of our customers. That said, we did have to put restrictions And I believe it was about 13 equities at that time. And those were some of the most volatile meme stocks out there. I'm really proud of the team in that the team was really focused on what could we do to remove those restrictions in a responsible way as fast as possible for our customers? Because it wasn't the customer experience we wanted our customers to have, right? And so we were trying to play within the rules (laughs) and do the most responsible thing here. And we weren't happy with the situation either. We wanted to remove these restrictions. So the good news is is that we, I think, immediately starting the next day, started lifting and changing and lightening those restrictions, which I think was we did really responsibly. And I'm proud of the team on how laser-focused they were in trying to remove those restrictions for customers. And just curious, Gretchen, so you've had a very interesting career in many companies. Would you say that this week was amongst your most challenging weeks in your career? Uh, It definitely was one of them. You know, I think it's really hard when you're in a situation, but I also think it's a great test when you are in the position of leadership of balancing different priorities. I want to do everything possible for our customers to be happy to stay with Robinhood for the long term. Like I really believe we're creating a platform and access that's transformational. This is why I go to work every day. So in situations like this, where there are unprecedented events and you have to make hard choices, it's difficult. But again, I think we did the right thing. And I think, of course, there's things we can learn and always improve. And I think that's the most important thing is that I believe in the employees in our company. I believe they do everything to try to do what's right for customers But we also have to work within the constraints of the regulatory guidelines. And so it's a tough situation. So it was definitely a challenging one, but I'm really proud of the team. And again, it wasn't just the operations team. It was engineering. It was product. It was the finance team. I mean, you know, I think one thing that might be overlooked is that our finance team went and raised $3.4 billion in what I think was the fastest, biggest fundraise in history. I might be wrong, but as far as I know... And that is incredible. And, you know, to have partners within a company where I can go to the CFO and we can have a conversation and he can respond with such action like that, 
to support the operational needs of the business. I just feel really lucky to have colleagues like that, that we're in this together as a team. And there's all different sorts of levers that we can pull to help our customers be successful. So in some ways it was the toughest, but I think it's those moments that really challenge you. If you can get through them, learn from them and keep going, they're also probably the most meaningful in just being a a leader in business. And hopefully there'll be better outcomes for the customers going forward. So speaking of that point precisely of better outcomes for the customer, you you have some lessons learned out of this experience. And and specifically, I want to ask you about a blog authored by your CEO, by Vlad, called uh, It's Time for Real-Time Settlement. And he's now, I guess the whole company is advocating for, I guess, an update to the rules and to the infrastructure of settlement. Right. It now takes, I believe, two days for a trade to settle. Used to be three. So clearly we can move it. Used to be five. Used to be five. (laughs) Yeah. If you you go far enough, I guess it's even more than five. (laughs) But yeah, let's talk about this. How would you think this would alter the industry if we move to real time settlement? I'm so glad you brought this up because it did used to be five, then it went to three. Now it's at two. We actually are advocates of real-time settlement. And I think just for background for your listeners, the existing two-day period to settle trades exposes both investors and the industry to unnecessary risk. And so we actually think it's really ripe for a change. I think I'm really proud and honored to work for Vlad because he is always thinking about how do we use experiences like this to improve the industry overall? And how do we actually create a dialogue to get maybe some archaic processes out there and start a dialogue and do make some changes systemically so it's good for customers? So I really applaud him for starting this conversation. You know, I think everyday clearing brokers, like I mentioned at Robinhood Securities, have to meet these deposit requirements imposed to support customer trades between the trade date and the date the trade settles. And so investors, our customers, are waiting for their trades to clear. And the clearing brokers have their proprietary cash locked up until the settlement is in final days after the trade. So it's just really inefficient. And the clearinghouse deposit requirements are designed to mitigate risk. But like we saw in January, these wild market activities showed that these requirements and the long settlement time can have really unintended consequences that introduce really new risks. So we're trying to avoid a situation that we just experienced. So I think it's been about four years since the securities industry moved from three to two days for a settlement period. And actually, we're a technology company as well as a financial services company. And so we know the technology exists. And we would be happy to be part of this to do real-time settlement. That might be moving the needle too fast. The DTCC, that stands for the Depository and Trust Clearing Corporation. I don't know if you saw this, but they just issued a press statement this week saying that they are proposing going to T plus one. So not quite where we want to go, right? We want to do real-time. but T plus one direction. It's the right direction. So a one-day settlement period. And they're proposing a two-year plan to get there, to shorten it. We're ready to go to real time now. (laughs) But I have to say, I think that's great progress, right? Like, let's move to T plus one, then let's get to real time. All of this is for the benefit of customers in the end. So 
we really look forward to working with all the lawmakers and the regulators and just sort of the industry experts to really make this this a reality. So we're starting to see the dialogue action take place from the dialogue, which is really exciting. Gretchen, I want to go back to one of your comments, which was like the fact that it wasn't just Robinhood that took these measures, right? But it seems that you have very ardent followers. It's the Robinhood brands almost incises fanatical feelings from a lot of people. So why do you think you've taken so much heat as compared to other players in the industry? I think that's just part of the responsibility we have in being a fast-growing company and a company that's challenging the status quo and trying to change things. So it's a role that we accept. I think the other thing is that half of Robinhood's investors are first-time investors. You know, the median age is, I believe, 31. And so these folks are learning. They're participating for the first time. They have lots of questions. We've tried to do a lot on our platform, and we still have a lot more to do, to invest in, in learning and education. But people want to talk about investing. I actually think it's a good thing that we're taking the taboo out of financial services. So for so long, at least, you know, the way I was brought up, you don't talk about money or investing and right. It was never taught in the schools. Like how do you create financial safety and health for yourself? It's kind of bizarre that it's not taught as like a basic human skill. And so we want our customers to have great financial long-term outcomes. And so Some of it I really welcome. I mean, believe me, I'm happy not to be on, have Robin Hood be on the national news every day. But I actually think it's a good thing that people are starting to talk about more people investing, more people participating, people raising questions that may have been brushed aside for many years and demanding more. Um, I actually think it's, it's really healthy for the ecosystem. So if Robin Hood can play a role in that, I'm all for it. And switching gears a little bit, I wanted to ask you about maybe not so talked about area of your business, but I understand it's actually a fast growing part, which is your new banking side, right? You are offering a debit card and you are offering new banking services, right? Do you envision this part of Robinhood evolving over the next few years? So we're not a bank. I just want to be very clear about that. Yeah, I think for us, our vision is we want to be, if you're going to have one finance app on your phone, Robinhood wants to be that app. So Robinhood overall has just a great customer focus. Every week at our company, All Hands, we always have a segment where we hear from customers. And so whether it's focus groups or phone calls or other things, it, it's just a, a nice grounding point for all employees to hear. So today we offer really three different types of account. We have the first account that a customer receives when they, they log in is the margin account, which means customers have access to instant deposits. There also is a subscription service that they can apply to called Robinhood Gold. And that gives customers more access to buying power and larger instant deposits. That does It is a subscription product. And then there's Robinhood Cash, which I think is what you were referring to. There is a debit card feature, and then it allows customers to place commission-free trades as well. So we also have crypto investing and options investing on top of that. But there's still a lot more to build here. We don't offer joint accounts or trust or custodial accounts or IRAs, right? There's a lot we still need in terms of account types that we will have to build and grow. But the idea is, 
how can you think about investing, saving, spending, right? The entire wheel that our customers need. So we want to approach a, a, you know, our strategy and vision from that holistic point of view. We recently have been hosting a couple of founders of platforms in the alternative investment side. Is this something that you would consider? I mean, obviously, you already are expanding beyond public equities into crypto, but um, have you given it some thought to maybe expand to uh, the alternative investment side? Right now, we're really focused on our brokerage business, our cash, and our crypto business. So at this time, that's really how do we support our customers in those space? How do we continue to grow those businesses? That's our focus right now. There's one way to think about growth and what we're investing in from the product side. I think we're also looking at it from the customer side, which might be interesting. And that might result in in different product choices going forward. So one of the interesting things that I don't think has been talked about a lot is that we've actually more than tripled the number of women investors on our platform this year. And that was a company level goal. I was personally invested in that and really excited to see that progress. The other thing, you know, when we say access for all, we really mean all. And so another thing is that if you look at Robinhood customers compared to other major brokerages, I think 37% of our customers are non-white, whereas that's only true for 20% at other brokerages. So we're seeing more active participation from Hispanic, from Asian, from Black populations, right? just underrepresented groups that we hadn't seen participate as actively before. And so one of the things we're doing is we're really going to those groups, listening to them and seeing what products and services they need. And that's really what will also influence our product roadmap going forward. And I think you've partially answered my next question, which is going to be about uh, the rewarding part of your role. What are some of the the aspects that you find most rewarding as the CEO of Robinhood. Yeah, you're right. That's uh, You can tell I'm very passionate about <laughs> increasing the diversity of both our customers and our employee base. So, you know, the role of COO means something different at every company. For me, I sort of, I run the operations for the businesses that we mentioned, crypto, cash, and brokerage, and the, both the introductory and the clearing. But I also run the people function, the strategy function, our product operations function, our financial crimes function. So there's a lot of different, I love the diversity of thought and I love really creating a special culture within Robinhood. I think for me, having worked in pure tech company being Google and pure financial services being Fidelity, I think those experiences, I see the greatness in in both of those cultures. But what we're doing here at Robinhood is creating, merging those together and trying to create something really special and different. And when it works, that part is really magical, right? We get these people who have 20, 30 years in financial services, but they know there's a better way. There's a better way for customers. There's a better way to support and serve our customers. And then we get these great engineers and technologists who question everything. And when we can bring that expertise together and they really respect each other and debate. And then the best idea rises to the top. It's really magical what we can build. And that part to me is so stimulating just to see 
all these committed employees coming together and creating something that hasn't been done before. So that's sort of what keeps me motivated is really the team and their insane customer focus. So Gretchen, I know before we started recording, I mentioned that we have quite a few fintech entrepreneurs tuning in, but we also have a lot of listeners who might be in the traditional finance sector these days and are considering making the switch, right? And then joining a fast-growing fintech, much like you've done. Do you have any reflections or any advice for people who are considering joining the fintech industry? Sure. I think we've hired a lot of great folks who have been in the traditional financial services industry for, again, the past 20, 30 years. And I think it's all about your worldview. The people who are less successful are the people who come in and say, let me tell you how it's done. This is the way it's always been done. And here's what you should do. The people who are successful come and say, hey, here's my experience. But I actually think there's a better way and let's brainstorm together to figure out how to build this. And I'm going to lend my expertise, but I want you to question everything and and let's try to rethink this model. So it takes that growth mindset, right? And I think it's very powerful if you can bring that breadth of deep knowledge and experience from traditional financial services, but be open to change, really embrace that change in a meaningful way. And I think also have a mindset where you're really listening to your customers now, right? It's possible that the customers of today have different needs and expectations than the customers from more traditional players. And so that can translate into really different options. But that's we've seen a lot of success where people coming from traditional financial services really understand the power of technology and what it can do to transform the offering. Super interesting. And and I guess also amongst our guests, we've seen a, a number of founders or leaders in the fintech sector who come from traditional banking or, or financial institutions, but really have that mentality of how can we improve and make things better. Gretchen, before we let you go, we always love to ask our guests about maybe some of their hobbies. And I imagine during the last year of COVID, uh, your hobbies might have changed a little bit. Oh, yes. All right. So pandemic appropriate hobbies. Let's see. I'm spending a lot of time with my family. My kids have uh, been doing remote schooling. They're just going back to in-person school. So I spend a lot of time with them. They're really fun. I have a son and a daughter that are uh, 9 and 11. And then, you know, we've been just trying to spend as much time outdoors as possible to get some fresh, clean air which sometimes is difficult with COVID. And then in Northern California, we've, you know, we had a lot of fires here. So whenever we can get outdoors, we, we spend a lot of time hiking. We've been playing a lot of tennis. And then I always joke that I'm going to be an apple farmer when I retire. So we, I try to get my kids to do some manual labor and my husband out in, out in the garden and, um, you know, get their hands dirty. So, you know, not that exciting, but that's how we, we tend to spend our time. Sounds wonderful. Outdoor time is always good. Uh, Well, Gretchen, thank you again for joining us. I am sure you've been having some busy, busy weeks. So we do appreciate you taking the time to stop by. Uh, I know you you went to a different MBA school, which will remain unnamed, but uh, now you're you're a friend of Wharton and, and the podcast. And we invite you, as soon as things get normal, we invite you to 
stop by and come visit us. We won't be mean, I promise. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me and congratulations, your 100th episode. So I hope I did it justice for you. Absolutely. Thank you, Gretchen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. We also want to extend a special thank you to our show editor, Rafael Ostria. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. 